Morning. How are we all doing? What a joy to be here this morning. As always, it is a privilege and one I don't take for granted, so I say it out loud because to stand here at my home church and preach again is something I will never, ever stop being grateful for. I'm grateful to our VLT, to Pete and Nikki, who aren't with us this morning, but are preaching out in, uh, near Reading somewhere, and uh, we're obviously thinking of them and praying for them. What a great morning it is for that church, right? What a gift they've got in our leaders being there this morning. So I'm hugely grateful. Um, it's also a great theme. We're, we're continuing our theme of Jesus uh, and we're looking at love him and what it means to do that. Nikki last week um, kicked us off with a beautiful message about the battle for the heart. Friends, if you're not listening to the messages online, can I encourage you to do it? Can I encourage you that even if you're here on a Sunday morning, like if you love it, go and listen to it again. If you didn't love it, maybe go and listen to it again and see if it might have been you. <laughs> Ever have that where you listen to a message and you go, oh, I didn't really feel that. And then you go and listen to it in the week and you go, oh no, it was definitely me. Or maybe you just disagreed with it. Maybe there's something in it you can't get on board with. Spoiler alert, might be this morning. <laughs> you can see what I'm doing, right? Just easing you into where I'm going with this. Maybe you disagree with what gets said from this platform. That's absolutely fine. This is not a place where someone at the front speaks and 400 people have to agree. That is not what heaven's going to look like either, friends. It's going to look like beautiful. It's going to be beautiful as we figure out who's around us and ask questions like, how did they get here? And how did I get here? That's the kingdom. So if you disagree, you know what? Go find it. Go find it online. Listen again. If you miss it, listen again. If you're here, listen again. It's really easy to do. If you've got an Apple phone, it's on your podcast app. It's on Spotify. You can get it anywhere you get podcasts. Go and have a listen. I'm repeating myself this morning, and um, I, I was going to say sorry, but I'm actually not sorry, and there's a good reason for that. Um, when I started preaching again, so I used to do this a bit more for a living. This used to be more like my job, and, and it isn't now. And one of the reasons for that is by the time I got to the end of that season of my life, I was very, very tired and running on empty. Interestingly, Nikki spoke last week about their broken turbo on their car. Do you remember when Pete preached a message on that? He talked about the car being in limp mode. Does anyone remember that message? That is so where I was as a, as a speaker and a preacher. I was in limp mode because I was just running on empty. And one of the ways I knew that was I wasn't writing anything or coming up with anything or allowing God to reveal anything anymore. I was just repeating messages. So someone would go, Matt, will you come and speak at this thing? And I would go, sure. And I had a bank of about six or seven messages that I liked. And I would just go, A, which one haven't I done there before? And B, which one can I probably do the easiest? If I'm really honest, that's where I was. So when God had other ideas that I was going to start preaching again, and Pete and Nikki had other ideas that I was going to start preaching again, one of the things I promised myself was I made this rule that I wouldn't repeat messages. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back to the bank. I wouldn't go, oh, I'll just preach that one. But last summer, I preached at an event for um, young people and young adults down in Kent. And as we drove away from the event, my wife, Christina, said to me, you've got to preach that message at Skylark. And I went, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't want to break my rule. And then when the theme was launched of Jesus, she said to me again, well, now you've definitely got to preach that message at Skylark. I went, well, I, the thing is, I don't want to break my rule. And so a couple of months ago, as I started to think about this message and this morning, I was really struggling because in my heart, I was being really drawn to this message. But in my head, I was being held up by this rule. And I was lying in bed one night, and I was really trying to figure this out, really wrestling with it. And my wife turned to me, and she looked me in the eye, and she said, if you don't stop messing about, you'll be in the spare room. 
It's not where you thought that was going, is it? You thought something else was coming. But I did stop messing about. I didn't go to the spare room. I did stop messing about, and I slept. And uh, this amazing thing happened. This is absolutely true. This is so true. Uh, I, I don't remember anything about that night's sleep except for this snippet of a dream, okay? And in this snippet of a dream, I am climbing these old ruinous steps, like, you know, at a monastery or a castle? I'm climbing these steps, and there's someone in front of me, and they're climbing the steps in front. And I hear the voice say, I'm sorry for repeating myself. And then the person turned around, and it was Brett Seifel. This is absolutely true. <laughs> Brett isn't even someone I know that well. Like, I know Brett a bit, but I don't know. Like, he's not, like we don't know each other incredibly well. It's Brett Seifel in my dream. This is absolutely 100% true. And he turns to me, and he goes, actually, Matt, I'm not sorry for repeating myself, because I'm beginning to learn that sometimes when God has something to say, he says it a number of times. And then Brett Seifel, the dreamy Brett Seifel, as in, in my dream, he's also dreamy, I'm sure his parents agree, but he is, as in, in my dream, dream hyphen Y, just so everyone's clear what I'm saying. The dreamy Brett Seifel says to me, I'm starting to wonder if repetition isn't prophetic. I woke up, and I went back to this message, and I realized that God had something more to reveal to me, and so I'm sorry, not sorry, for repeating myself this morning. Our theme is Jesus, love him. And friends, I think it is incredible to spend some time as a church looking at what it is to love Jesus and the love of Jesus. But you know, for me, when this theme came up, the thing that struck me was that I stand here because of the all-encompassing, overwhelming, incredible, gigantic love of Christ. And the nodding in this room tells me that so many of you feel the same way. But friends, I wonder how many people aren't standing here this morning because the followers of Jesus haven't learned to love like Christ. I wonder how many people aren't sitting amongst us this morning because while we waited for some supernatural divine love to overwhelm our communities, we forgot what it was to simply love our neighbor. And friends, this morning we're going to look at a story from the New Testament. It's a story about Jesus. It's a, one that I love. But it's a story that sometimes gets used as a kind of a metaphorical example of what the love of Jesus is like. And I wonder if we've missed something when we don't look at it as a practical how-to of how to love like Christ. Because I think sometimes we get so caught up in the incredible, gigantic, huge, overwhelming, supernatural love of Christ that we are missing the simple day-to-day -day opportunities to connect and love our world in the way that Christ actually did. So friends, don't mishear me. I stand here because the love of God forgives and heals and sanctifies and cleans. But I wonder how many people don't stand here because followers of Jesus like you and me have missed some of the really simple stuff. So that's where we're going this morning. Is that all right? This morning, I've inserted a word into the thing. I hope it's okay. And this morning, we're going to think about loving like him. So we're going to think what it is to love like Jesus this morning. And to do that, we're going to turn to John chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, or if you've got your phones, or it'll be on the screen. John chapter 8, and we're starting in verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, now, what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. 
When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Two things about this story that are really important. Um, if you were reading it in an app, you might have noticed that the, um, it's got brackets around it. Does anyone's Bible have that? It has brackets around the story. That's because it wasn't originally in the Bible. It's a late addition to the text. In fact, um, some scholars and theologians don't think that the person who wrote the book of John actually wrote this particular passage. It's a late insert into the text itself. I don't have time to go into that this morning, um, but it is fascinating, and I would really encourage you, if that little kind of nugget of information excites you or makes you go, what on earth is he on about? I'd encourage you to go and look into it, uh, because it is really interesting how our Bible came together and came to be. And this particular story is a bit of a funny one in the midst of everything. But what I love about the story is that it smells like Jesus, right? The reason it makes it in, the reason I feel confident preaching on it this morning, is because there is something about this story that smells like Jesus. This is a Jesus story. The second thing to note about this story is this. It's not a story about adultery. This is not a story about sexual sin. And the reason I know that and can say that with some confidence is that if it was, there would be a man standing next to that woman. Because the law that they're talking about is found in Deuteronomy chapter 22. And it is very clear that if anyone is going to be stoned, it should be the man and the woman together. Now, it's not a great piece of law. It's not a particularly fair piece of law when you continue to read it. It's not a law that I think displays the fullness of who God is and the kingdom. But that's the law. If they were following that law, there should be a man present. Shall I go one step further? Let me go one step further for you this morning. I think we have a problem with the cross if we call this the woman caught in adultery. Because if all it takes to be found guilty in the Bible is for a group of religious men to drag you from your life and accuse you of something, why do we call Jesus an innocent victim and this woman the woman caught in adultery? I think that's problematic. And I think if we're going to continue to assert rightfully that Jesus is an innocent victim, then we have to be very careful if we're going to continue to condemn this woman as caught in some sort of sin that we have no evidence for. No evidence for, other than the words of this group, who in the text it says, we're trying to test Jesus. Don't for a second think that they wouldn't have used a woman in first century Palestine as a piece of collateral damage. It wasn't a great place to be a woman. So this morning, it's a funny bit of text, and it's definitely not about adultery. But I think it shows us three things that Jesus does that can show us how to love like him. The first is this. Jesus steps out of the situation. Right at the start of the text, they drag this woman to him, and they say, law says we've got a stoner. What do you say? And look, this is not a kind of a peaceful, well-reasoned argument we're stepping into here. This is an angry, bloodthirsty mob that have dragged a woman from somewhere and trailed her before Jesus and said, we want to execute this woman because we have a right to. What say you? And Jesus does the most amazing thing. Because in the midst of that, he just gets down on the ground and just starts drawing in the dirt. And there's lots of good theories as to why he does this or what's going on there. But for me, as a, even a parent 
as a human being, I think I know what he's doing. I think he's doing what we all do when faced with something angry and vicious and ready to get us. Sometimes you just have to get out of the way. This is a bloodthirsty mob of religious people desperate to see a body. And they say, what do you say, Jesus? And he falls to the floor and starts doodling in the dirt. They're calling for blood, and Jesus gives them dust. Isn't that an amazing way to love? Friends, in a time when it feels like we are being asked to be more divided than ever, I wonder how powerful it could be if Christian brothers and sisters took the decision just to step out every now and again. I wonder how powerful it might be if we, at a time when politically we feel very divided, socially we feel very divided, friends, even amongst ourselves, honestly, if I'm totally honest, I fear more friendly fire from fellow brothers and sisters than I do from any non-Christian in my life. Do you want to know the truth about persecution in Britain in the 21st century? I'll tell you what I feel. I don't fear any persecution for my faith. I have never encountered, I read my Bible publicly on the train every morning, I host a podcast that goes out into the mainstream market that is all about faith and spirituality, I work in an environment that is not a Christian environment, and I do not fear persecution for my faith. What I fear is saying the wrong thing or writing the wrong thing on the internet and people bombarding me with tweets. That's where we are. Don't get me wrong, there is real persecution in this world of our brothers and sisters. But it's not about not being on the nine o'clock news. These are people fearing for their lives, imprisoned, tortured, executed because of Jesus. That's what persecution looks like. Friends, I think in a world that seems more divided than ever, the choice to step out of conflict might be the most Jesus thing we can do. I think that in a time when we're being asked to take sides, in, out, leave, remain, this, that, conservative, liberal, milk or meat, what a nonsense one, right? I... Getting the look from your wife, she's like, don't. Come back to the words, Matt, come back to the script, Matt. If only that were true, she's the opposite. Friends, I think we have to choose to step out of the conflict. Jesus bent down to the ground, and he began to write in the sand. You know, there's lots of theories about what he wrote. Um, I've probably got time for two of them this morning. Uh, the first is that he wrote out the law that they were talking about. The first theory is that Jesus got on the ground, and, and he sort of got down, and he started writing out that law, maybe as a way to point out there's only one person here, maybe just as a way to let them know who they were dealing with. Like, yeah, I know that law. I've got that law. And if that is true, I think that's a really good example, because I wonder if sometimes we need to be more careful about knowing the scriptures we're claiming to defend. I wonder if sometimes we're defending a biblical view of something, and it's been a long time since we went to the Bible to find out what the view is on something. Right? Second hand, third hand, I read it on the internet, I'm sure my pastor said it one day. A biblical view of this, a biblical view of that, a biblical view of the other, we're defending, we're upholding. When was the last time you opened the thing and went to find it? Here's a good question. Is it actually in there? <laughs> like, the next time someone sends you a petition, ask yourself the question, is it actually in there? Does it mean that? Does it even say that? Here's one for you. Did that word even exist? 
Friends, I think if we're going to say we're upholding biblical values in the 21st century, we should need to know our Bible. And I don't just mean chapter and verse, give me a bit of Leviticus every now and again. I'm talking about know our Bible. I'm talking about understanding what it means to really engage with God's Word. I think Jesus might have written out the law, because it's a good... It's a good reminder to us that sometimes we need to know the scripture we're talking about. The second theory, and this is my favorite, the second theory is that Jesus was writing the names of every man who was standing there. <laughs> you got to love that one, right? What's he writing there? He's writing Simeon. What? Whoa, 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 Jesus, no, 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 I'm not, no, I just got, whoa, whoa, hey, whoa. Imagine that, right? Imagine you're in that crowd, Jesus starts writing your name on the dirt. But if that is true, I think that might be a good example. Because, friends, I think we need to start to ask ourselves, who is bringing this to us? Here's a good tip for life. Just because it has the word Christian in the website title doesn't mean it's a Christian website. Just because it has the word Christian in the Facebook group that asked you to share that wonderful post, it might not represent you. Who's paying for it? Go to the website, click on the link. Who's advertising on it? That's a good hint. What are they trying to do? Why is someone trying to make me feel angry about my faith? Why is someone trying to trigger me into responding in a way that will be less like Jesus when they're claiming they're doing it to help Jesus? Who is bringing this anger to us? Who is bringing this conflict to us? Friends, think twice before you share the petition. Think twice before you share the Facebook post. Think twice before you sign the petition. Think twice before you put it on the WhatsApp group. Friends, think twice, think twice, think twice. Step out. Follow Jesus. In a world that wants to be angry and divided, the followers of Jesus say, we step out, we draw on the ground, we search our scripture, we ask who's paying for it, and then we figure out how we love like Jesus. That's how we love like him. Because that is how we love like Jesus. That is how we love like him. The second thing Jesus does is this. He stands up. You see, he doesn't stay out forever. This is not a sermon about putting our fingers in our ears or screaming, we don't do politics, or that one's a bit messy for me. That's not what happens. Jesus steps out, takes a moment, and then stands up. He stands up and he says to the crowd, who among you has not sinned you get to throw the first stone. Friends, this is a story about an injustice. This is a story of a woman dragged from her life with no one around and pulled by an angry mob and facing execution. This is not a story about adultery. This is a story about an injustice that Jesus stops in its tracks. And he does that by standing up. I told you I was going to repeat myself this morning, but when I preached in our justice series in September, I suggested that I think justice equals the kingdom and the kingdom equals justice. And actually, it's been lovely. So many people have come to me and asked or gone, are you sure about that? Or why do you think that? And it's been, it's been such a healthy dialogue and a really helpful one. But I still believe it. I still believe that when it comes to the kingdom, if there is no justice, it is not the kingdom. If it looks like the kingdom, but there is no justice being sought, I'm not sure what it is, but I'm not sure it's the kingdom. Friends, I want to go one step further this morning. I want to tell you that if you are claiming to be following Jesus, but you have no concern for the plight of our planet or its people, can I humbly suggest that you look up again and make sure it's Jesus that you're following? Friends, if you're coming to this building because you like the architecture, unlikely. If you're coming to this building, <laughs> let's be honest, right? It's the, St. Paul's it is not, but we love it. But if you're coming to church for the architecture and the music, and the, but you don't have a heart, for the refugee 
If you're not concerned about equality in our time, friends, can I ask you just to look up and make sure it's still Jesus you're following? It's a test I have to do all the time. I'm not saying this from here. I'm trying to live this in here. Is this still Jesus I'm following? Because when it comes to Jesus, there is always a call for justice, and it goes beyond that. In, in, in the book of Amos, God says, I, I, I don't want your religious festivals. I want justice. I want justice. Friends, I believe that when it comes to standing up, we have to make sure that we are always on the side of the oppressed. Like I said earlier, first century Palestine wasn't a great place to be a woman. If this story made it in, the story made it in because God's trying to tell us something which is that he will always be found on the side of the oppressed. If you see an angry religious mob and someone standing on the other side, let me tell you where Jesus is. Because this is where he is. Because he stands up and he confronts that angry mob. Friends, if we are going to be kings and queens of the exclusion police, who's in, who's out, I don't think it's Jesus we're following. I'm going to repeat myself again. One of the first messages I ever shared here. We are called to be the ushers of the kingdom, not the bouncers of heaven. We are invited to invite people into the kingdom of love and grace and light and hope. We are not called to be the people who stand at the door and say who gets to come to the party. And if I'm really honest, the people doing that are not throwing the kind of party I want to be at. That is going to be one heck of a boring party. (laughs) That is not somewhere I will find myself, friends. We are asked to stand with those that the world calls the other. And look, we have a great history of this. Bev reminded us recently, we should be incredibly proud of the role that Christians played in ending slavery. But let's not forget the role the church played in holding it up for way too long before that. Let's not be naive about the fact that actually it may have been some Christian brothers who stood up and, brought, and you know, fought to bring slavery to an end, but for a long time before that, the church was upholding the other bit. And friends, today we're not always doing that much better. When the Windrush generation arrived here to help us build and rebuild this country, it was the churches that closed the doors and said, you are not welcome here. That's an uncomfortable truth. That's an uncomfortable truth. Because I don't want to be part of that group. But that's what happened. That's what happened in this country, friends. And today we have to make sure that we are doing more and more and more to make sure this world and this church and this city and this country is as equal as the kingdom of God is going to be where there will be no separation, there will be no hierarchy. Friends, we've got to make sure that every door, every opportunity, everything is as open to all our brothers and sisters as it is to us. And if we're not fighting for that, if we're not concerned about that, if we're not thinking about that, if we're not educating ourselves on that, then I think we need to ask ourselves, is this Jesus we're really following? You know, I don't recommend books, right? Never until today. (laughs) We need to talk about race. It's a book written into our UK church culture. It's a fabulous book. It is a deeply challenging book. It is a book that is going to, well, you're going to have to read it more than once. (laughs) It's a book we need to read. Because, friends, we can't just stand up every now and again and be pleased that some time ago the church helped end slavery. We need to make sure we're doing everything we can to make sure this world and this church is as equal a fair place as God wants it to be. On this day and in this week when we've been celebrating women all over the world, I am so proud to be part of a church with so many female leaders. I'm so proud to be part of a church where week on week on week on week on week, we have amazing women who lead us in worship, in hosting, in preaching, in our kids' ministry, in our, in our prayer ministry, and all those things. We are a church that celebrates and elevates women. That is to be celebrated. That does deserve a clap because it is a, a beautiful thing to be part of. 
I talk about it a lot. I talk about it a lot with my friends. I talk about it a lot with other Christian people. How much we do that in this church. Friends, let's never forget that the church has not always been a comfortable place for women and in some places still isn't a comfortable place for women. And so we celebrate what we do here, but let's make sure we're not holding any enclaves anywhere in this church that aren't living up to those standards. And let's make sure we're pushing further and further and further. Let's make sure we're elevating our sisters and our wives and our friends and our leaders and our goddaughters and our nieces and our granddaughters. Let's make sure that we're part of a church and a kingdom that says there is no division here because all can be lifted up. All can be leaders. All can preach. All can teach. All can lead. All can serve. We should be very proud of where we are, but let's not forget that not everywhere are Christians at the forefront of that. And friends, I grew up in the Salvation Army, an incredibly proud heritage for me. A church that said we will not allow class division. A church that said we will welcome those that other churches don't welcome. Friends, I think we have an amazing even opportunity in this city with chess, with the food bank. Nationally, we have Christians Against Poverty, which is literally raising families out of debt, ringing a bell, Jubilee, no more debt. Friends, we should be very proud of that. But let's make sure we're not creating churches where only the middle class really thrive. A place where you can only succeed if you are educated like us, if you live like us, if you can afford to come to our things. Friends, let's not make sure that we're not creating a division that isn't, doesn't want to be there and isn't there. It's really important because when we stand up, I'm pointing there, it's up there, I should do that. That's uncomfortable. When we stand up, like Jesus stands up, we should always find ourselves on the side of the oppressed. Always on the side of the oppressed. If there's a religious angry mob and someone on the ground, Jesus will always be over here. Because that's what it is to love like Jesus. That's how we love like him. Third and final thing he does is that he stands up after this crowd go. You know, I love, what I love about this story is that I've always wondered, did they take the rocks with them? Or was there this amazing thud that happened beforehand? It's like, doom, 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 doom. just like the end of EastEnders, like early doors. That's a terrible joke. I'm so sorry. Do you know, my, my youngest brother is here. He's 14 years younger than me and incredibly cool, and I've just embarrassed myself with a dreadful joke like that. And I've always wondered what happened, but, but whatever happened, they leave. But I love that Jesus says to the woman, oh, where are they? Have they gone? <laughs> oh, they're not here anymore. The dignity he gives her. The dignity he offers. And then he stands and he says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And friends, I think, I think we've got mistaken in this passage. I know I certainly have in the past in this passage because um, it's really easy to read uh, now, from now on, do not sin again as a kind of an indication that she was guilty of the things she was accused of. But that can't be true because just a second later, Jesus has called out the sin of the group and there's no specifics in that. So if he's able to call out the sin of that group of religious men without us going, oh, I wonder what they've been up to, we shouldn't immediately assume that when he says, do not sin again, he is speaking about the sin that she was accused of. That's a leap. That's quite a big leap, actually, to make. Because what he does is he says, do not sin again. And Nikki last week spoke beautifully about sin and the fact that we struggle with it as a concept and a word. She gave us a, a lovely definition. I want to add another one into the mix. Uh, this one up here um, is from Cornelius Plantinga, Jr., he says, sin is the culpable disruption of shalom. And then the theologian and writer Rob Bell put that into kind of simpler language, which I always enjoy. Sin is anything we do to disrupt the peace and harmony God desires for the world. Sin is anything we do 
to disrupt the peace and harmony God desires for the world. Friends, sin no more is not an accusation, it's an invitation. Sin no more is not a wagged finger but an open arm. Sin no more, we have turned into this other thing whereby we see it as a chance to lord or be above or point down or point out. That is not what Jesus is doing. If sin is anything we do to disrupt the peace and harmony God wants for the world, then sin no more is an invitation to create the peace and harmony God wants for his world. It is not an, an accusation or a pointing at what you have been or done. It's an invitation to what you can become. Sin no more is not a don't do that again. It's a come try this. Come make the world a better place. Come stand against the disruption of peace and shalom. Come and join God's heart desire to make the world a better place. When sin is anything we do to disrupt that, sin no more is an invitation to do that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's no sin. I disrupt the peace and shalom of God all the time. I did it on the way here. I'll do it on the way home. Drive carefully, folks. <laughs> Friends, I will do this this week. There is no hierarchy. We see the word adultery and we leap. Oh, that's a big one. Friends, every time we do the opposite of these things, we disrupt the peace and harmony of God's world. Every time we jump into confrontation rather than stepping out and asking questions, every time we side with the religious mob and we ignore the poor and the downtrodden and the oppressed, we disrupt the peace and harmony of God's world. We sin. Sin no more is not some angry, vitriolic man telling us off for what we've been part of. It's an invitation into the greatest thing that will ever be. So Jesus speaks life over this woman. He speaks life into her life. When faced with a literal death, he offers her an eternal life. That's loving like Jesus. Friends, speak life is something that if you've been part of this church for a while, you'll know that we talk about it. It's one of our core values. It's what we live. I think I've shared before, but I found it a bit weird when I came to the church. I found it a bit odd, this kind of way everyone talked to each other. And this idea that you, everyone had to speak life all the time, I just, I thought it was impractical more than anything. Like, have you ever been on the A12? Have <laughs> you ever tried to get the train out of this place? Like, good luck. But friends, I discovered that these values, this value when lived out is transformational. And I say that because it transformed my heart. Friends, it ends cynicism. It ends criticism. It ends sarcasm. And I used to love that one. Friends, it says no to those things that want to grab our heart and take us away from loving like Jesus. Because when we are, when we are forced to speak life, we begin to love like him. Friends, I talk about this everywhere I go. When I get asked the question, how does your church work? What's the blah, 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 blah. I never talk about any of this stuff. I say two words, speak life. I shared before, but when, when I did this event down in Kent last summer, I encouraged this group of teenagers and young adults to speak life, and we had to stop the event three times because they just wouldn't stop. Right? They just went, I want to, and they started like we all start with, oh, I love your shoes. I do love those. <laughs> I've been looking at them. They're quite distracting. <laughs> and they started with that. They started with, oh, you're a really good footballer. By the end, these kids were calling out deep, 
character, spiritual things in each other, and they didn't want it to end. They had to change the program. Because once you unleash speak life, well, life speaks. Friends, let's never lose it in this church, right? So friends, if you're finding yourself and you've been here for a while and you're thinking, well, now I know a bit more about it. Nah, it's not so easy because it's not what I thought it was. Or, well, you know, there's a few things I don't really like and I don't really want to be part of that. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning to recommit ourselves to speak life as a value. Speak life that refuses gossip. Refuses gossip. When you speak life, you're going to find yourself not clicking on the websites you clicked on before because that sidebar holds nothing good for you. There is nothing to be gained from knowing who's wearing what and why they're wearing it so well or usually so badly. Nothing to be gained. Friends, speak life will stop you finding yourself in huddles of people complaining about that thing or that person. You'll find yourself doing different things. Friends, it's so easy when we start in this church journey to go, I love that, I'm going to do it. And then as we find ourselves more and more embedded and at home here, we find ourselves getting too comfortable. We need to continue to challenge ourselves about speak life, whether we're here for 15 minutes or for 15 years. It's time to recommit ourselves to that as a value because when we speak life, we love like him. We love like him who stands next to a woman who has been on the edge of death and says, I don't condemn you. Sin no more. Help me make this world all my father wants it to be. Because that's how we love like Jesus. That's how we love like him. And so friends, this morning, I've tried to give us three ways that I think we can step into the love of Jesus to step into a life in which we love like Jesus loved. And this morning, whether we need to commit to stepping out more, whether we need to come off a few of those groups, maybe get out of that Facebook thing, maybe unsubscribe from that website that seems to always be angry about the same thing, whether we need to think twice this week before we hit share, or whether we send it on the WhatsApp, whether we think twice this week before we sign that petition, Friends, if we need to step out this week, I think it will help us love like him. Or friends, maybe this week we need to stand up. Maybe we need to remember who Jesus is always for and find ourselves alongside and for them too. Maybe that's where we need to find ourselves this week to love like him. Or maybe we need to be reminded that when we speak life, as the followers of the one who brings life, we bring life. I wonder what Chelmsford would look like next Sunday if we stepped out, stood up, and spoke life this week. If just this group, I wonder what Chelmsford would look like next Sunday if this group of people just did those three things this week. You see, I love the overwhelming, all-encompassing, reckless abandonment love of Jesus. But I also love the slightly underwhelming, really practical, deeply, simply effective love of Jesus. <laughs> And I wonder if this week, as Skylark Church, we might step into God's world, refuse to disrupt the peace that he desires, and step out, stand up, and speak life as we love like him.